Hey everyone, this is Brian from the Tennis IQ Podcast. Josh and I hope that you are enjoying the content and discussions that we put out week after week. If you'd like to support the podcast and help us to continue to produce quality episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Currently, we have three tiers of support, the fan level at $3 per month, the supporter level at $7 per month, and the champion level at $20 per month. Benefits of joining the Tennis IQ podcast community include episode transcripts, participation in book club discussions, and access to monthly masterclasses with me and Josh. For more on these benefits of support, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Thank you so much. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And for today's episode, we're going to be discussing perfectionism. And the idea behind this episode is is, is twofold. Um, number one, um, for whatever reason, it seems that there that the tennis is a sport that where where people tend to bring a lot of perfectionist qualities to the sport and to their training, thinking that and somehow it's possible to, to perfect their game um, and viewing the sport in a perfectionist way. Um, and maybe there's certain aspects of the, the sport that, um, that, that draws people with some of these perfectionist qualities in. Um, and a, another reason why is actually um, based on, based on a very famous book in the sports psychology space um, and specifically in golf and it's golf is not a game of perfect by Bob Rotella. Um, and really the, the idea here is that can we move to a place within tennis where rather than people trying to be perfect when they're out there playing a match and hoping that things are perfect, hoping that their strokes are perfect, hoping that, when the ball hits the let cord, it goes over onto their opponent's side of the net rather than their own, hoping that they're going to serve perfectly and hit lines. Can we move to a place where we know that perfection is not attainable, where we know that we're not going to play perfect out there, but that we don't need to, we don't have to be perfect and we won't be perfect in order to be successful. And long-term, we certainly won't. There might be certain days where we feel like we're closer to that point of perfect or you know, that, that point of excellence, um, but that we can figure out how to get things done, how to be a problem solver, how to make the most with what we have on a particular day and continue to strive to get better each time we're out there and strive to improve on our game, but not need to be perfect on a particular day in order to feel like we have a chance to win. And I think also when we look at perfection, it's not a standard that is measured when it comes to actually winning matches as if, you know, something different, you know, figure skating, gymnastics, the perfection piece actually is a part of the criteria. It's, you know, there's a judgment of certain things and your quality of, of execution is matters. We are not, doing anything in tennis where we're looking at your forehand and we're making sure that the form is perfect and correct and so forth and like that and that is how we're going to measure 
whether you've won or lost. Yet, there might be an attitude around that as if it were the measure of success. And so I think it's really important how we look or sort of conceptualize the role of perfectionism in a sport like tennis. Um, I think in some regards, Josh, it has, there are, there are, I think, some benefits to perfectionism. And one of my favorite books on this topic, I love uh, the Rotella book, really good book. And even though it's about golf, highly recommend that tennis players read that. But uh, a more general book on perfectionism is uh, from by Tal Ben-Shahar, and his book is called The Pursuit of Perfect. And it's fascinating. So he's one of the reasons I think I, I really branched into positive psychology. So when I was, um, I think back in 2010, the University of Pennsylvania offered a course in Foundations of Positive Psychology, and, and Tal Ben-Shahar taught it. It was a course that he had taught at Harvard for many years and had been the most popular class there. And it was it was awesome. It was like a 12-week course, two lectures a week. And perfectionism, which is not normally included in a positive psychology class, but it wasn't his because he had his own journey in, in perfectionism. He himself was a world-class squash player. And... I think listening to his journey, perfectionism was a reason that that career ended and it ended in, in some serious injury and he was not able to train anymore. But he mentions in the book that there's a positive aspect to perfectionism and then there's, a, of course, a maladaptive. And one of the things I think we want to embrace here for those who are perfectionists, is like let's, let's categorize this, is that perfectionists do have high standards. That's a positive. Um, and so we do want to embrace those high standards, but as you're saying, Josh, the need to actually meet them all the time is not important, right? This is a journey type of sport. It's not a destination. Your mastery of it will never end. Even the best in the world continue to get better and they know it. Um, so there's never any sort of, you know, Nirvana, Valhalla type perfectionist place like you've made it. I'm perfect now. And I think it's important to, 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 to realize that. So I think what we'll get into today is looking at some of the, the characteristics of people who are, you know, um, more perfectionist versus what ben Shahar, Tal Ben-Jahar calls um, optimalists, those who embrace the more positive sides of perfectionism. Absolutely. And I think when it comes to being more of an optimalist, that's more about how can we make the most of what we have on a particular day? How can we be on that pursuit of perfection? Or sorry, <laughs> how can we be on that pursuit of excellence rather than striving for something like perfection that's ultimately unattainable? And I think one of the issues with perfection is that inevitably in a tennis match, you will make a mistake. You will make many, even on days where you're playing great. And when we get to that point where you make a mistake, where you make an error, where you double fault, where something happens, how do you respond in that moment? Do you respond as a challenge or do you respond as a threat? Do you respond as a threat? Like, okay, this is a threat to my quest for perfection. And okay, I'm trying to be perfect and I'm making these errors, these mistakes. Therefore, I guess I'm not 
perfect. And this is a threat to my ego and to sort of my identity and to who I think I am or who I'm trying to be. Or is this a challenge? Is it a challenge that, okay, I'm trying to play as well as I can. I'm trying to be the best player, the best competitor that I can be. And on maybe today there's more challenges. Maybe that challenge is that I'm having a tougher time bringing out my best game on today. Maybe my opponent is presenting certain challenges, but you know, that whatever those challenges are, can I view it in that way of seeing it as a challenge rather than seeing it as a threat to this, this quest for something unrealistic and un, un, unattainable ultimately like perfection. Yeah. And perfection. And I, I tell this to the players I work with who are perfectionists is, you know, unfortunately when you are a perfectionist and in sort of the maladaptive way, you're not a realist. You're not striving for something that can actually be achieved. So what are you doing? Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense there. Um, and so if you want to be a realist, you want to fall more on that optimalist side of things, right? And I, I, I look at perfectionism versus optimalism. I also see two other words that, that go with this, which is pessimism and optimism. Very often, perfectionists can be pessimistic about what is happening to them, their ability to, to even reach it. They think of themselves typically as more, more, or they fear failure more than they look at failure as a means of uh, learning, you know, or it's not even failure, really, per se. They, even that word is probably problematic here, right? Um, and so when we look at, say, the pessimism-optimism comparison, um, it's very easy to, to be right when you're a pessimist because we can all very easily go out there and create poor performances and losses. But being an optimist, being an optimist, I think takes a lot more courage because success is a possibility but not a certainty. And if you can manage through that journey, sort of like we've talked about in our episode on suffering, um, there's no guarantees that you'll be successful, but you'll have a better chance. You know, and, and I think a lot of times people have this need to be right. And is your need to be right uh, stronger than your, your pursuit of excellence? Because it's very easy to say, well, that always happens to me. And then you make it happen. Being very pessimistic. Um, and I think perfectionists often have that kind of thing. Because like you were saying earlier, Josh, it's often tied to the ego and the identity. And I know, uh, you know, a big part of even Tal Ben-Jahar's research on perfectionism, you know, went back to mindset from Carol Dweck in terms of fixed mindset versus growth mindset. And so there's always got to be, especially for us as tennis players, in a sport in which ego is very featured, just the nature of the ranking system, the rating system, one versus one, it can be really tough to untangle the ego from everything going on, but you really need to. And it really needs to not be about being perfect. It needs to be about this journey towards towards excellence. And that's hard. It's really hard. Um, but one thing I like to bring up with tennis players, if we go back to what you need to do to win, you absolutely do not need to be perfect. In fact, I would say it's one of the most forgiving sports 
at least the the scoring of mistakes than than any out there. You, I mean, golf is not nearly as forgiving. You know, all of those shots count in golf. You make some bad ones, they there's no erase. But in tennis, you play a game. You could play a horrible game. All right, now you're down one zero. But who cares? what those things were. You can come back and play brilliantly the rest of the time and it doesn't matter. Um, and that's hard. Doesn't, nec- doesn't necessarily feel like that in the moment though, right? No, it doesn't, right? It doesn't. But it, the more that we come to realize that that's the way it is, maybe you can let it go. Um, how you lose a point is really not that consequential. Whether a ball is, you know, five feet out or you know, five millimeters out doesn't matter. So um, there's a lot of, uh, I think, judgment on how things are happening in tennis matches, how things are being executed, when in the reality, that's not, in the end, what it matters toward the, toward the final score that you're trying to achieve. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, by understanding sort of the nature of of tennis by understanding that you know every point ultimately counts as one point and it doesn't matter if somebody hits you know an unbelievable winner or if it's a long 35 shot rally it doesn't matter if your shot is you know 10 feet out or you know or, or just barely misses but if in the in the moment it feels like it does right, right. when we miss a shot by a lot it it impact it, it, it can impact us quite a bit. It can feel embarrassing. It can feel humiliating. It can it can cause us to maybe question certain things about about our game, about our level, about oh I you know how could I miss a shot like that, right? And and everybody's been there. Everybody's missed really easy shots and really easy overhead, a, a very easy volley to finish a point. Uh, some you know your opponent is we're in a baseline rally and your opponent is all the way in one corner and you have the, the whole court open and you miss. And I've been there and I'm sure everybody has, right? Everybody's missed easy shots. The, the, the best players in the world miss easy shots and, and it's going to happen. So can we move past that? Can we get to a point where we're able to put that behind us and understand that that's a part of the game? Tennis is not a sport of perfect and, Nobody manages to be perfect. It's it's impossible. So can we be better at managing with what we have on that particular day while striving to be better and get 1% better whenever we're out there and that sort of thing? But can we be better at managing what, with what we have? And I think being realistic about this, it helps us control our emotions a lot better. Um, you know, if we don't have this assumption that we're going to be perfect and then that disappointment that goes along with that realization that we're not perfect on that particular day and we have more realistic expectations, then we're able to focus on the standards piece. We're focused, able to focus on having high standards for different aspects of our game, high standards on our effort, high standards on our time in between points in terms of using a routine in between points, high standards on our attitude, high standards on our, the competitive fight that we're bringing to a match, high standards on how we're analyzing our opponents and trying to find their weaknesses. You know, we're able to have high standards on these controllable factors, right? We talk a lot about this concept of controlling the controllables and that's generally 
the first thing or one of the first things that I talk about with an athlete, because I think that ability to be able to differentiate, is this within my control or not, is is really critical. Um, so, you know, w- when we think about this topic, our ability to make every single shot and be perfect is out of our control and, and not even possible. But can we instead, rather than focusing on our expectations of being perfect, of not missing, of not missing easy shots, can we really focus on the controllable aspects of our performance, like some of those things that I was mentioning, and really try to put our efforts there well, knowing that we'll make mistakes and knowing that that, that is a part of tennis, that's a part of life, and being a little bit more accepting of that and getting to that point of acceptance. And I think when we when we start to think about how can we overcome perfectionism and, you know, I, I think acceptance is definitely one of those tools that one of those tools, one of those sort of mindsets, I guess we could say that we want to embrace in order to move past that more perfectionist mentality. I'd like to go back and use your example of the missing the easy shot as a way of using a very popular positive psychology intervention here that differentiates between how a perfectionist looks at that point versus how an optimalist might look at that. So uh, in positive psychology, we talk a lot about an exercise called finding the benefit, sort of a silver lining type of exercise. And as tennis players, to become more mentally tough, to handle the suffering of a match better, we have to become experts at finding the benefit in everything, finding the silver lining in everything that we do. Um, even if it's, you know, seems not real, but in the moment, you're not going to be judged for the story. So let's look at that point. You've missed an easy shot. The way you brought it up, Josh, is I think is the, the very normal way. It's like, oh, you know, how did I miss that? Right. You're finding fault. You're being a fault finder. You're not seeing perhaps what really went on in that point. Because this is a very frequent thing. I'm sure you get it all the time that somebody works a point, they get up to the net, and they miss the easy volley. Okay? And then the, the next the, – and they're talking about how, how could they miss this easy shot? I got to work on my volley. I got to work on this all, all this other stuff. And, you know, some of that may be true. They may need to work on their comfort level at the net. But what's the silver lining of that? Well, you got yourself into a position to hit an easy shot. If you do that more and more often, don't you think you're probably going to make some of those? Is it maybe missing the easy one, the exception, not the rule? There's a lot to be gained from the fact that you were up close and in a position to have an easy shot. Okay, you didn't make it. We can learn from that. But there's a lot of goodness in terms of how you created that position in the point. You know, now I could understand if a player was really upset that they were six feet, you know, behind the baseline, getting run around all over the place, and then they they went line and try, and then they missed. That to me is a little bit, you know, that one's going to be a harder one to find the benefit in. You know, maybe there's something where you lasted this long or whatever in the point, but um, <clears throat> that's a lot worse sort of mistake than you missing an easy shot. To me, finding the benefit of the easy shot miss is much, is very easy. It's just whether you want to look at it that way. And people who are more on the positive side of perfectionism 
are excellent at finding the benefit, are excellent at telling a more optimistic and positive story about what just happened, rather than finding fault and attaching that maybe to your ego or to your identity. I always miss easy shots, that type of thing that then can become barriers. So I think that's, you know, when we talk about overcoming perfectionism, you know, understanding, learning how to find the benefit in everything you do, including your mistakes and lost points is really important. Absolutely. And recognizing that that's a choice, recognizing that we have a choice in terms of how we see things, how we view things. I think that's a, that's a critical step too, because I think oftentimes somebody misses a shot and they don't recognize that, that they, that they have that choice in terms of how am I viewing this? And, you know, I think understanding that that's always something within our control, how things are viewed. What is our mindset around a situation? How are we framing things, right? I think recognizing all of those sorts of things is is a critical piece in terms of in terms of viewing a situation in a productive way, in terms of viewing a situation in a way that's going to ultimately help us with the remainder of the match, with with the next point, right? Um, if if we are looking at it in that sort of perfectionist way, it it can be it can, it can hurt our ego. Oh, how did I miss a shot so easy, a volley so easy? What does that say about me as a tennis player, right? So I think a lot of people are in that sort of frame of mind. And I think if we can take make the choice to view things differently, to look for that silver lining, and I'm glad that you brought that up, Brian, um, then we're able to, to view things a lot differently, right? Um, I can even think of a situation where maybe an opponent aces us. What's the silver lining there? Well, we're playing against our, an opponent who's able to serve at that level, right? That that says something about us and and our game, and maybe it's a competitive match, or maybe it's not. But you know, we're we're able to we're on the court with somebody who's you know hitting serves like that. Okay, that's just just a silver lining that that came to mind already, or maybe it's. Um, maybe we double fault, but we, we double fault by a couple of inches, but we were going for it and we were hitting the type of serve that we want to be hitting. And we know that that that's going to lead to a certain level of double faults. And if you're making a hundred percent of your second serves, you're probably not going for it quite enough. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think there, I think that's a really important skill to be able to constantly be looking for that silver lining because it's out there if you're willing to look for it. But I think that that step of, Recognizing that that's an option and being willing to find that silver lining is is really critical. So your ace example is a really great one to use with the Winner's Creed by Bill Tim. So he talks about what a successful point is. And a lot of people have a problem, not a problem, but they kind of don't understand exactly this full definition. So a successful point per the Winner's Creed is one in which you win the point. Or your opponent hits a winner or a forcing shot. And so a lot of people are like, huh, why is, why is it a successful point when my opponent hits a winner, right? Like my opponent hits an ace. Why is that a successful shot? Well, the more you learn about Coach Tim's, you know, his approach to winning, you learn that not making mistakes is a huge silver lining. That's the benefit. That's why it's a successful point, because you didn't give it away. 
you made the opponent earn that point, whether it's an ace or something else. Um, now, of course, if you leave the ball short and the opponent hits it away, okay, we can do better. We can look for improvements in you know our tactics or our execution. But still, as we all know, sometimes people miss easy shots because we were just complaining about that a couple minutes ago, <laughs> right? So we know that happens. Your opponent still had to put the ball away. You didn't actually make the mistake. So that is also another silver lining that we can find. Find the benefit is, yeah, your opponent hits a winner or they hit a really tough forcing shot. It's okay. You made them you know, actually have to win the point. You did not give it away. And to me, that's a huge one for people who are perfectionists to learn because tennis is not just about any one point. To me, you know, to play really great tennis is to understand your process for playing and simply to try to execute that on every point as well as you can. And so let's say, you know, like if we look at a Novak Djokovic, his game is not high risk. He's hitting mostly cross court. He is hitting mostly the high percentage shot. He's almost always hitting the right shot from the right spot in the court. And he's keeping the ball within a, you know, a court that is smaller than the actual white lines in general. Right. Um, and he can get into modes where he just doesn't, doesn't miss. Right. So you look at that kind of style. He knows that. He knows, right. I'm going to hit cross. I'm going to use my directions. I'm going to hit cross. I'm going to do this. When I get this ball, I go here. And then he just repeats it on the next point. He's not really trying to win points. He's trying to play his way as best he can. And he knows that he's going to win his share of points. But if you get so result-oriented about what you're doing with every single shot, you're more likely to make mistakes. So at the top level, it's much more about just executing a particular set of decisions and going with that and then trusting you do it well, you'll win 51% plus of the points because that's all you need, right? And, I mean, sometimes that's not even enough, but, you know, that it's different in terms of, uh, you know, the points, games, and sets. But that's what really top-level players are doing. They are just playing their process and letting that that kind of thing play out. So when you start to look at whether I you know won a point, lost a point, you know made a mistake, whatever, you can find the benefit more in all right. Am I playing my way? All right. Yes. You know it's a good point. I made the guy work hard. You know, ten plus shots in the rally, etc. That's that's positive. I keep that up. This is gonna end up going going my way. I, I'm, I'm positive. I'm optimistic about that. So when you're able to find more of the benefit, more of the silver lining and everything that's going on, you can remain optimistic, which I think is like one of the most important aspects of being a great player. Because perfectionism tends to distract you from that, it tends to keep you in the past and keep you judging yourself when that's just not, not important. Um, so I think this whole finding the benefit piece uh, is really, really important to players. Absolutely. Yeah, I think perfectionism leads to that 
to us being judgmental leads to us being self-critical. And I think I actually wanted to go back to something that, that you were saying earlier about, you know, so somebody like Djokovic or somebody like Nadal or Federer, Serena, Iga Svantec, whoever we want to name. When when I see them playing against an opponent, and especially when when those players that I mentioned are at their best, and and they're playing really well, it takes a lot to win a point against them. And if we think about, let's say Nadal on clay, right, and somebody he's an opponent, and they're in a long rally, and the opponent wins a point. I think somebody like Nadal can say, okay, that's what it takes to win a point against me here. Right. Right. And I think that's a way of finding the silver lining. And if you're in a long rally with, you know, if I'm in a long rally with someone or you're in a long rally, Brian, whoever's listening and you lose the point, can we get to a point where we're able to say something similar to ourselves? All right. That's what it takes to beat me here. Right. That's what it takes. And that's the silver lining. Or Okay. That's how good of a serve it takes to ace me. And I think by being able to find that silver lining, it's a lot easier to move on with the next point and put that point behind us and be a little bit more accepting of it because we're not still holding on to it. All right, that that's what it takes. Or, okay, hey, the silver lining is I was going for my shot. And I missed, but I was going for my shot. I was going for the right target there. And my execution wasn't right. I know my I'm not going to execute 100% of the time. And that was one of those cases, but that I was going for the right target there or my decision-making was right or whatever. I set my feet in the way that I want to, but I, I missed. Um, and, and that's a part of the game. So I think if we can understand that it's, it's a lot easier to, to move on ultimately. Definitely. You know, and you mentioned that, you know, how hard it is to win points against some of these players. What you will often see, especially just sort of below the pro level, is that if you show your opponent how hard it is to win points, say the first four to six to eight games, and they see how hard they have to work, they may even subconsciously choose not to work that hard going forward. They can't handle it, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally. And they'll start to make more mistakes, and they'll make more mistakes earlier and earlier in points you know my style when i was playing my best was more that way right like working really hard lots of long points but i played many matches where it was two all or three all and then the final score was three and one and it got easier and i didn't change anything i just kept doing what i do you know just sort of describing the joker's thing i'm certainly not at that level but it's um that's what we're talking about here is about you learning to play a particular style. And, and like you said, playing a long point, that's like a boxer throwing lots of body punches. You know that long point is going to have a benefit to you later in the match. You're working this person over and they're going to be more and more tired, which means they're going to make more mental mistakes. They're going to make more physical mistakes. And that can only benefit you. It's not about having to win every single point, every single game early in the match. This is about finishing. And um, it's really important that we have a narrative style, a storytelling style that allows us to stay optimistic and believe we can. Believe we can play better, believe we can win the match. Um, 
and just be able to get through any sort of imperfections that are that are going on. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think yeah, our, our self talk that that narrative style that that we have is is critical when it when it comes to these things. And I don't think for for a lot of people that's the default, right? I, I don't think that's the default. The default for most people and again maybe people are approaching tennis in this way where, where they, they think that it is possible to be perfect or that, that it's possible even to perfect a certain part of their game right um but being able to move on consistently after mistakes being able to put lost points lost games lost sets lost matches behind us I think is is a critical skill maybe one of the most critical skills for tennis players and I think the perfectionism gets in the way of that. Um, so instead, can we, yeah, can can we strive to be our best on each particular day? Can we strive to be excellent? Can we strive to be optimalists um, in order to in order to try to maximize our abilities? That perfectionism makes it so much harder to maximize our abilities because it's never good. Wherever we we're at on a particular day is never good enough. Right. So we're not able to give ourselves credit. Right. We're not able to when we reflect, it's all the negatives, even even in a match that where we, we where we did a lot of things well. Um, and I think we want to get to a point where we can reflect on a performance and understand from, a, you know, understand what did we do well out there? Maybe what didn't go so well? What did we learn? Uh, but be able to ask ourselves some of these simple questions and try to get better rather than, okay, what went wrong? And I think a lot of people instantly go to that point, especially when they lose or especially when they don't feel like they played well. They instantly go to that point of what what went wrong. And yeah. it's constantly about trying to fix that. Right. Rather than keeping it in perspective that, you know, th there will be days that we play better than others, just like everybody else. And can we see the bigger picture? Not just what, we want to improve upon, but what did we do well out there? You know, what was learned? What, what, you know, what points in the match are we really happy with how they went? And were we maybe reflecting some of our best qualities? Maybe what are some of the points in the match where we made mistakes? How do we respond to those mistakes when they happened? What sort of a mindset do we have more of a perfectionist attitude about those mistakes? Did we, you know, were we able to let go of some of those mistakes a little bit faster um, so I think through reflecting on our performances in a non-perfectionist way as well, it makes it a lot easier to adjust and make improvements rather than uh, rather than holding on to those mistakes and maybe identifying too much with them. Right, right. So I'd like to share some of the research from the pursuit of perfect. You know, like the consequences of being a perfectionist versus an optimalist. And again, uh, you know, we're talking about a perfectionist in this category as sort of the negative aspect of it, you know, being unrealistic and um, trying to achieve something that's not achievable. Where an optimalist has high standards, more of the positive aspects of it, um, and and is still able to pursue excellence, right? So uh, let's look at the consequences of being a perfectionist, not only to a tennis player, but just even in life, right? So. When success is experienced, it tends to be just temporary relief versus the optimalist who gets a little bit more satisfaction because I think the difference there is perfectionist is all about the destination where the optimalist 
can appreciate that journey, right? And that that becomes more satisfying. Um, you know, the perfectionist will inevitably fail because it's not achievable. Where the optimalist at least has the possibility of success. There's some op, you know, there's optimism there. The courage to want to do that. Okay. Um, perfectionists tend to waste time because they're always trying to make things perfect. Now that might be a little bit more outside of tennis, but you know, let's say you're a perfectionist in school or when you work, you know, do you turn stuff in late because it's not perfect? Versus, you know, someone who's more of an optimalist, they they get they understand how to manage their time and what's good enough to be done for a particular moment, right? Uh, in terms of mental health, perfectionists are more prone to disorders where optimalists have more of a, a healthy approach, a more uh, you know a more beneficial approach to their mental health. Uh, perfectionism, as we've been saying, it's, it's tied to your ego. It tends to hurt your self-esteem, tends to hurt your view of who you are as a tennis player, where optimalism allows you to continuously grow, grow into something. It goes back to something we've said, Josh, like the most important version of you is who you are becoming. And I think that's what an optimalist really gets. Um, you know, perfectionism, you're probably going to, experience more anxiety and stress around your performance where optimalists can use those forces in a more creative way, a more courageous way. And then, you know, on the performance side, it's hard to be a perfectionist and always perform well because you're kind of saddled with so much of this stuff. Um, And I feel actually like if you become an optimalist, at the end of a match, it feels much lighter. It doesn't feel like you've gone through sort of this gauntlet of difficult emotions the entire time. It feels like you were uh, kind of almost like floating a little bit more. So just having been on both sides of this, because I think for me early in my career, I think perfectionism was was part of why I was so focused on past points. And that did create definitely a difficult emotional journey. And then when I got through that, it felt so much easier at the end of matches. Like I was more energized because I hadn't wasted so much there. So I think it's important to understand these consequences of, you know, sort of the maladaptive type of perfectionism versus more a positive adaptation of it and trying to become more of that so that, you know, you can get through this very difficult sport a little bit more easily. Absolutely. And I, I think a, a really important point, and, and as we as we talked about this, this is common. This is common with tennis players. I'm sure people that are listening can relate to, to things here. I mean, you know, I, I can definitely say there's there, you know, I, I can fall into to some of these tendencies at times. I think probably everybody or most people can. Um, but I, I think it's important to separate what are some of those qualities that are positive about you know about perfectionism right um i think about the the work ethic piece somebody who's a perfectionist might be more inclined to to have a, a better work ethic because they um are able to you know maybe be a little bit more disciplined put in the work on a you know more daily regular basis in order to to be you know to 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 be striving towards their version of perfectionist or, or, or their version of perfection um they you know tend to achieve at high levels however as as you're saying there there are a lot of drawbacks here um and especially within a sport like tennis where we know 
how difficult it is. We know how challenging that scoring system can be. We know that it's not attainable ultimately to be perfect. Um, we have to be able to put that aside and be aware enough to, to catch ourselves when we're falling into some of these traps or some of these tendencies and instead try to be a maximalist or try to be an optimalist and do the best that we can on that particular day and recognize that that's enough. That might lead to the win. That might not, but that's enough because that's the best that we can do ultimately on that particular day. And that's exactly what we're striving for. We're striving for the best that we can on a particular day. And that's not going to be perfection in terms of us playing a golden set or a golden match or winning 6-0, 6-0 every time that we're out there against a the player that we think we quote unquote should beat because that's not life. That's not what anybody's doing. Um, but instead, can we make the best with what we have on that day? And I think to me, that's what it really means to be mentally tough. That's what it means to be a great competitor. And I think that's what we should all be striving for. Yeah, and I think it's a lot about just having that awareness of what's going on in your own mind. Are you being too judgmental? And as you said, Josh, we probably all fall victim to this at times, but it's about how you respond to it. And uh, that's really the, the key to being a, a great competitor, a great tennis player, is understanding you do have the control to respond to these, to these thoughts. And the more that you work on it, then uh, I think the less and less those thoughts tend to come up. But that takes some work. And that's, I think, why we're talking about this and, and some ways of retraining that automatic thought system so that instead of always finding fault, can you also follow it up with the benefit? What's the silver lining here, et cetera? Little things like this to stay focused on the pursuit of excellence versus um, – sort of just trying to assuage your own ego here. Um, but it's, yeah, it's difficult. And just, uh, I would say, just realize that you're going to have some of these thoughts from time to time. Can you respond to it in a constructive way? Knowing that um, you want to become the best competitor, best player you can become. You want to be able to, to win the match. And sort of the maladaptive behaviors of perfectionism are, you know, are huge barriers to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, no, I, I think there's there's a lot of sort of mindsets that people can can definitely apply through through what we've talked about today. Um, and yeah, recognizing, you know, maybe where that perfectionism can help, but also recognizing the drawbacks of it and, you know, and, and working on it. It's not an all or nothing thing. Right. As we've talked about, everybody has aspects of this within themselves, but it's, you know, it's a it's a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong process of trying to be the best versions of ourselves and and understanding where that perfection where perfectionism can get in the way. And I think especially in a sport like tennis, it's important to to try to be aware of that as much as possible. So if you're interested in reading more about perfectionism in sport, Josh brought up um, "Golf Is Not a Game of Perfect" by Dr. Bob Rotella. Excellent, excellent book. Uh, the Pursuit of Perfect by Tal Ben Chahar. Also an excellent book, so highly recommend that you check those out. So thanks for listening to today's episode on perfectionism. For more on uh, what Josh and I discussed, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions, 
please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. If you have the opportunity, please rate and review the podcast so others can find it. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. And you can also check us out on Instagram. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash tennisiqpodcast slash membership, where you can learn about the benefits of being part of the Tennis IQ podcast community. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.